So, um, yeah, like Holly said, we've been going through Ecclesiastes over the last month. So some of you might not have had the pleasure of being here over the last few weeks, so I'm just kind of going to recap um, what we've been doing. But I hope, like me, you found this book um, to be really profound, rich, and kind of thought-provoking. Um, and it's not your typical um, Bible book, so it's got a lot of issues we've been grappling with as a church, and um, that is sometimes quite difficult to get your head around. Um, it doesn't really fit neatly into our preconceived labels and boxes um, for God and what it means to be a Christian. But what Ecclesiastes does explore is this human experience, this life under the sun. It's messy, it's disjointed, um, and there doesn't always seem to be answers where you would expect them to be. So Josh started off by exploring the very beginning of the book, and there's this man called the preacher who arrives, and he starts off with this meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Um, And Josh really looked at the fact that actually the preacher... He was a man who, in some way, didn't know God. Um, And actually, even as Christians, life under the sun can seem meaningless. And and a chasing after the wind. Then Joe came and spoke to us on chapter 3, where there's this amazing poem that's really famous. It talks about a time to heal, um, as well as a time to die, a time to be born, a time to plant, a time to uproot. Um, and she spoke about how in life we have seasons and the good times and the harder times kind of have to be um, taken together. And she also reminded us that no matter um, what our experiences are on earth, God has put eternity in our hearts. So actually this earth isn't our home. So we will never be satisfied whilst it under the sun. And lastly, Polly came and she spoke of the silence of God. And God's otherness. And how even though God doesn't always seem close, sometimes God does withdraw from us. It's important that we kind of appreciate the distance between us and God, that we honour He's in heaven, so that our words be few. Today we get to the final chapter of Ecclesiastes. And as the preacher calls it, the conclusion of the matter. Finally, we feel like we've reached the end. Maybe we'll get some kind of meaning. When all is said and done, what else remains? And we're specifically going to think about what does it mean to remember our Creator. But just before we do that, I'm going to ask you a little question on your tables to get started. Um, And I want you just to think back to your earliest or maybe your most vivid memory from childhood. So I'll give you an example of mine. Um, I remember really clearly when I was younger, me and my sister um, decided, we were about nine or ten, we thought it would be a good idea to take my dog um, up the top of a climbing frame in the park. Now, visualise my dog, she wasn't like a, an Alsatian, she was quite a small dog, so we thought, oh, this is definitely doable. So um, we managed to hoist her up, what we soon found out is that the dog up the climbing frame, which is easy getting her down, and she didn't quite like it up there, they bit afraid of heights. So then we were like, oh. So my sister holds the dog, she's at the top, passes the dog down to me. I catch the dog, didn't catch my sister. She fell down and broke her arm. That was about 10, and that was the first time I've never broken bone. So I remember her screams quite well. 
So that's kind of like a vivid memory from my childhood. So just take a couple of minutes to share anything you can remember, maybe a first ever memory, something silly from your childhood. Just give you one minute. Okay, brilliant. Hopefully you had a chance to um, get to know people at your table a little bit better and find out about some of their maybe childhood memories um, and learn a little bit more about them. So... We're going to go on to have our reading now, um, and James is going to come up and talk to us in a second.
here it is. Chapter 12. The death of our preacher friend. In this chapter, the preacher teacher ends his assessment of his sprawling life with this beautiful, heart-wrenchingly real poem about dying. It's full of rich metaphors and it's a really beautiful piece of poetry. I'd really encourage you to kind of read it and try and get your head around some of the amazing metaphors in there. You don't have time to kind of look at exactly what all the different bits mean. And it's, it's a really beautiful piece of imagery. What this poem does do, even if we don't understand all of the um, metaphors in there, is it confronts us with this very vivid and real image of dying. And when we read it, um, it feels quite shocking at first when we read it. Because let's face it, in our society, we don't like to talk about death. Um, we don't like to talk about ageing. Um, and it's quite, it's quite a sad um, poem. When I was preparing for this talk, um, I came across the once um, a show that I just watched. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, called uh, Ten Years Younger. I haven't seen the show for absolutely ages. Um, there's a presenter who does it, and if you've never seen it, the premise of the show is that they take um, some very poor, very wrinkly. This, you know, old-looking, 30-something, who looks about 95, and gives them this new lease of life. And the show begins, so they take this poor, tragic old person around town, and that's all the passes like, how old do you think she looks? And they were like, oh, 72? And the poor woman's like, 30. Um, it's obviously very well edited, so they were like, I'm 60, well over her age. Poor woman has her head in shape, so tragic. And then come in the plastic surgeons, the dentists, the hairdressers, the makeup artists, the fashion connoisseurs, and you get this absolute transformation. And the best, the bit I really like is you get the before and after shots. So I found some online, you can see here. We've got before and after a few of them. So interestingly, I kind of go, ooh, not sure which one I prefer. Before or after. Um, interesting. So, and then the funniest part I find is when they drive the person back through town at the end and they're like, hmm, how old do you think she looks? They're no nod, like 21. <laughs> like, wow, I've achieved it. She's definitely at least 10 years younger. And I think it really sums up how our society is really obsessed with youth and looking younger than we actually are. And we go to ridiculous lengths to achieve that fresh faced, perfect 10 years younger smile. From plastic surgery, maybe it leads to like the more recent advancements in medicine. We've now got things like stem cell therapy and gene therapy, and eventually we think we might even be able to clone ourselves. But no matter what we do, there's this reality that how well we do or how long we postpone it for, death still wins. And this chapter really encompasses that. And it's a really sombre reminder of the frailty and fragility of life. And it gets to verse 8, the end of the poem, and the preacher says, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. And it reads um, as his kind of final cry before the preacher himself dies. And what I find really interesting is his very last words, because after that it actually changes to a different voice. His very last words echo 
the very first words he said at the start of the book. So you get this final cry is repeated. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting that Ecclesiastes is not a book that makes progress. It's not a book that comes to conclusions. The preacher is never about giving us all the answers. Um, it doesn't find a resolution from his perspective. Why are we here? Why is everything so unfair? Bad people prosper, good people hurt and die. You work so hard, we achieve so little. All these questions, he gets to the end, and again he says, meaningless, meaningless. It's as if the end of his life is as empty as the beginning. Now the implication here is not that life itself is empty. I think rather that life under the sun, our experiences from birth until death, often offers no more answers big questions about how the world works and what it might mean. And what I want to really focus in on is this bit right at the start of the poem that the preacher says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. In good teacher fashion, I'm going to ask three questions. Firstly, who? Who will we be nice to remember here? Secondly, what? What is he asking us to do, actually? And thirdly, when? When is he asking us to do it? And then we will end by looking at that very final paragraph at the end of the book, the conclusion of the matter. So let's start with who. He says, remember the creator in the days of your youth. He doesn't say remember God. He says remember your creator. I think the writer purposefully asks us here to remember our creator um, because it is a reminder of the fact that we are not self-sufficient. We are not eternal. We had a beginning. We will also have an end. We are not the creator. We are not God. Remember your creator. God gives life. God takes it away. Remembering your creator also reminds us of the absolute greatness and awesomeness of God. God brought all things into being. He sustains them by the power of his word. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies declare the works of his hands. In Psalm 19. Um, having just finished my first year as a teacher, I've had the privilege of teaching uh, Year 7 about space. Now at that age, I'm still very enthusiastic. I still want to answer all your questions. By the time I get to year 10, that's a whole different story. But they're still really excited and space, particularly, absolutely amazes them. They have so many ridiculous questions I could never answer. Um, but it's, I just find it absolutely amazing. We start off by looking at some really beautiful photos, and I picked two of my favourites. Um, and I think when I teach about the absolute vastness of space, they all, all the kids as well, leave with this impression of how small we are. We are these very small people on a very small planet in a very small solar system in an average galaxy of which there are millions of other galaxies. And that's when you kind of start to realise, wow. But it is God who created the heavens and the earth. God the creator. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. The term creator also brings to mind intimacy as well as greatness. You've got this huge greatness of God who made everything. And yet, David says in Psalm 139, But you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God who made space also knit us together. And that passage is a real kind of intimate view of the Creator, the one who made you, who fashioned you before you were even born and who knows you intimately and loves you intimately. Remembering your Creator means both remembering that God is great and yet He wants to know us and He loves us in that intimate, father way. So we're asked to remember our Creator as He starts His poem about dying. What is he asking us to do? Well, remember. Not just think about, not just consider, but remember. Now, the verb remembering implies that it's something that is continual. Okay? Because if we remember something and stop remembering it, we then forget. And the sad thing about memory is as soon as we become passive, it fades. Okay, remembering is something we have to do actively every day. I have to confess, even though I was excellent at the memory game, I, in many ways, don't have the best of memories. I was always very good at winning. Um, I went to market as a child, remember the lists. Um, but when it comes to um, generally remembering what I do from one second to the next, it's more of a challenge. So, I brought with me something that was quite helpful to me in remembering. Now, where have I put it that time? <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, my key box. Okay, I'm just going to place it here. So, um, I'm very good at picking up my phone, putting it down, and instantly forgetting where I put it. Picking up my keys, placing them down, and then forgetting where I put my keys. And in order to some function in society at large, I've had to um, find some new ways. You might think this is really obvious, have a place to put your keys, but maybe that, it took me a while. <laughs> so, um, I usually put my keys either maybe on the radiator, maybe on the sofa, maybe under the sofa, who knows. So I bought this box. Now you'll see it has keys handily written on it. <laughs> And it even has a little window at the top, so I can see if my keys are in there or not. Very nice. Um, and I placed it somewhere in my house, and I thought, right, this is it. I've got a box. Never ever going to forget my keys again. It doesn't quite work like that. But after forcing myself, coming into the house, I walk to my box. I place my keys in it. Make sure I do that as the first thing I do, and I did that again and again and again. And eventually. You start to go to the box, put your keys in it without thinking. It becomes routine, it becomes habit. And you get to the point where you don't need to remember. It works about eight out of ten times. So definitely an improvement. It's not perfect by all means. Now, this got me thinking. We do easily forget. Now, my life is cluttered, and so I find it difficult to remember where my keys are. I think it's the same often with God. Our lives get so busy and so cluttered and it increases with age as well. And we end up forgetting God. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. 
Do you struggle to find God amongst the clutter of your life? Does life sometimes run away before you realise you've forgotten to pray or forgotten to even think about God and what it is he would want you to do? It does happen easy to us. I think sometimes we can over-spiritualise um, kind of our faith life and say, well, I've got to find a box on my keys, but with God, that's it's more spiritual. I'll just find ways to remember, just magically. But in some ways, putting routines in our lives is so important. We need to be disciplined in our faith as well. And in order to live a life of remembering God, there's practical things we can do to help ourselves. The simplicity of reading a Bible every day. I think in many ways we've lost just doing those simple things, praying every day. There's little things that can remind you. So I have an alarm and underneath it you can put something. So I always change the saying after a few weeks because it gets similar. It says, um, persevere in prayer. I might change it to remember your creator. Little things just to remind you. And our cell group recently, been do, we did the um, Try Praying booklets. You might have seen me Try Praying. Um, it's like, it's been all over the country. You might have seen it on buses or bands outside churches. And it's a little booklet. And you can pray through some prayers a week. What I really loved about it is every prayer had a little thing to trigger your mind. The best one I found was, um, they got you to place a little rock in your pocket. Um, and I don't put things in my pockets naturally so at work when I feel something I'd be like that's weird and you put your hand in pull it out and remember simple prayer to pray was God be the foundation the solid foundation in my life little things help us remember what routines do you build into your life to help you remember God so it brings us to our third question when when does he ask us to remember our Creator? In the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. Um, and at this point, it struck me that this book is traditionally credited to Solomon. So, Solomon, um, scholars say maybe Solomon didn't actually write it now, but certainly whoever did write it mimicked Solomon. So, it meant to kind of take the voice of the preachers, maybe being King Solomon. But if you know much about Solomon, I find him to be one of the most tragic characters, in a way, um, in the Old Testament. Solomon was the son of David, who was a king who was described as a man after God's own heart. He was brought up in the fear of God. He built the temple in Jerusalem. This was a great king. He also, it says, he went to God and asked for, God says, I'll grant you something. He said, I want to be wise. Okay, I want to have wisdom and be the wisest man on earth. And it says God granted that to him. So we have here literally the wealthiest, wisest, and most powerful man in the whole of Israel. He had it all. And the sad thing is, at the end of Solomon's life, he starts, he marries some foreign women, and it says he starts to worship other gods. Um, and realising this kind of brought this um, passage to life a little bit more for me. Because if we think of that Solomon coming to the end of his life and saying, meaningless, meaningless, his heart was drawn away from God. And you hear him say, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before life with all of its temptations grab hold of you, before sin becomes entrenched, 
before it is too late. You can hear Solomon almost saying, don't do what I did. And I think it's true, the older we become, often the harder it is to remember God. We become more and more stubborn, we want to be more in control of our lives, we accumulate more and more wealth, we gain more and more power, and often with that comes forgetting God. When should we remember our Creator? When there's still time. It's significant to note here as well that every single one of us, by virtue of being sat in this room, still have time. Because I don't know if you're like me, when I read this, you can kind of think, oh, it's not talking to me. It's talking about someone who's a little younger. Now it says, remember the creative days of your youth. You might be like, well, I'm not youth anymore. That isn't me. It's obviously for teenagers. Or if you're a bit older, you might say, oh, it's for 20-something. Or it's for young parents. For what, back when my kids were still at home. Or it's for before I retired. For before I had grandchildren. That was youth. For before I had bus pass. Whatever it is, we can all think that this is aimed at the person who is that little bit younger than us. But this isn't just for youth in the sense of young in terms of age. What the writer is telling us here is if you have ever experienced that feeling of life going away with you, so when we're all telling those stories, we look back and we realise that time is short. And Ecclesiastes here is hoping to grab us by the shoulders and help us to see and to touch and to taste the fragile beauty of the moment. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. Now. And on the flip side, we also need to watch out that we don't think that it is for everyone a little bit older than us. You remember the creating days of your youth, you might think, I've still got a few more years of youth left, don't need to worry about this yet, so when I'm not a teenager anymore, or when I'm in my late 20s, when I've got kids and responsibilities, I'll think about it then. When my children leave home, when I've retired and have more time to think about it, or when I've got my first book class, this chapter shouts at us that we are not in control. We don't know when the silver cord is severed, the golden bowl broken, or the pitcher shattered at the spring. Our preacher reminds us in a broken voice, do not leave it until it's too late. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. And the voice of Jesus also echoes back through the pages of the Bible saying, What profits it a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. So we thought a little bit about remembering our creator. Now, this, the voice of this preacher teacher ends in verse 8. And you might have noticed that someone else steps in after that. A new voice emerges at the end. There's a change in person. It's almost like a eulogy to the preacher. He's described verse 9 to 12 as wise and imparted of knowledge, man who tried to put down words. Um, and then it goes on after that. It says, you know, he studied far too much, he was wearisome to the soul, had too many books. I like to quote my husband. It's about three full bookshelves. Um, but it gets this point, and he says, Now all have been heard, 
here is the conclusion of the matter. Kind of pause. I mean, we've been through this whole series, and like, after all this time, are we actually going to get to the conclusion? Are we actually going to get a re re resolution? Hang on a minute, Ecclesiastes. It feels like at last he's going to tell us the answer. I think it's quite interesting that like, whoever wrote it, I don't think it was an actual changing person, he's purposefully given it a new voice here. So there's always an intake of breath, and we wait. So, what is it? And it says, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Now, I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like a strange anticlimax. After all these weeks of depressing meaninglessness, hearing, you know, all that we've heard, everything, guess the end, he goes, fear God, keep his commandments. So simple. So plain. So familiar. I kind of feel like that's, that's yes, it's true. We have almost known the meaning all along is the message Ecclesiastes sort of comes out with. We are to follow God with the best of what we can throughout the silences, the twists and turns of this strange old thing called life. Fear him. And say, so, well, what does that mean? Keep God in awe, in reverence. Like he said, remember your creator. And we hear Solomon's first words in Proverbs when he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Giving God the rightful place is our creator. What has God commanded us to do then? Well, we can think of Jesus when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Fear God. Keep his commands. Act almost as last orders. When we're not sure what else to do, we can come back here. Fear God. Keep his commands. As Josh mentioned, sometimes life feels like it has little meaning. Joe told us how life goes in seasons and Holly challenged us to not be afraid to face the silence of God, the otherness of God, Resist the urge to explain away why we might not feel close to him. When we face these times of meaninglessness, it can be difficult to know what to do. We hear Ecclesiastes say, Fear God, keep his commands. When we go through times of difficulty and heartbreak and loss, we don't know what to do. We kind of hear Ecclesiastes say, Fear God, keep his commands. And when we face those silences, and we're not sure what God is asking us to do. We still know, he said, fear me, keep my commands. This is the duty of all mankind. We are called to spend the short life we have here on earth with all of its confusions, with all of its complexities, in remembering our God. Being in awe of him, giving him his rightful place in our lives as our creator, keeping his commands. Simple easy to forget. So, um, I'm going to go into a time of response now. It feels like we've gone through this book um, and it's been, in some parts, quite challenging to get our head around and it's not our typical message that we often hear in church. 
But I found it really refreshing, actually, to hear that sometimes the experience you might be having, someone else has had, and they've penned it, and it's in the Bible. So what I'd like to do now, as the band just start to play, is just ask us some questions. What is God saying to you? So we're just going to go into time of reflection. You might want to close your eyes and we'll just sit and feel comfortable and just really reflect um, on some of the things I'm going to be asking you. What has God been telling you throughout um, this series and today?